0: Hello and welcome to the Pack Mag Parents Podcast, your place to laugh and learn. Everything we do is to make the lives of everyday parents easier. Without further ado, let's welcome our hostess with the most, Bree James.
1: Child Protection Week falls in September and is an important reminder that we need to keep kids safe, help them heal from trauma and lead happy lives and this is the purpose of Act for Kids which is an Australian charity providing support to children and families who have experienced or are at risk of child abuse and neglect. Act for Kids has just released the findings of new research with some alarming results surrounding consent. So child psychologist and CEO of Act for Kids, Dr. Katrina Lines joins us now to discuss these findings and, you know, help us as parents find out what we can do to keep our kids safe and also, I guess, notice it in others so that we can help them as well.
0: It's time to get to class.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Katrina. Can you tell us more about the research conducted and what findings you know, came about from that research?
0: Um,
2: Act for Kids was really interested in the topic of consent, not just because we work with children who've been sexually abused or, or physically abused, but because it's been so topical in um, the media and on social media recently, we've seen lots of cases of um you know, sexual assault on young women and conversations and schoolgirls coming out on social media saying, you know what, this is our life, this is normal. So we decided to um, ask some questions of Australians to see what they actually understood about the topic of consent and teaching consent as part of a broader concept of protective behaviours to kids. And what what did you find out? What sort of questions
1: did you ask? And and what was the results of that?
2: Well, we asked people um, whether they were open with their kids about consent. And, you know, that was really interesting. Um, It was less than half of parents, carers and grandparents said that they were open with children um, about consent. Um, So that was surprising because when we looked at the whole sample of, you know, over 2,000 people in Australia, representative sample, um, nearly 90% said that it's the parents' responsibility to talk to kids about consent. They didn't think it should happen anywhere else um, except, you know, there was a small percentage of people who thought school should teach kids. Um, So, you know, despite the majority of people going yep it's parents and carers um less than half have been really open with their kids about consent the other thing that we found is um and and this was of interest for to us because we teach young children protective behaviors in school and within all of our therapy programs Um, and protective behaviors is around you know being safe and unsafe and private and uh, public body parts and, you know, all of those kinds of things and about how to um, seek help if you're unsafe. And little children readily learn all of these concepts. So we were interested in what age um, people thought you should start teaching children about consent. And um, the majority of um, adults who responded said that it was after school age. And so that leaves zero to four-year-olds really vulnerable. And we know that they are the biggest proportion of children who are um, abused in Australia are zero to four-year-olds. They're very vulnerable. And our own research on our Protective Behaviours Programme shows that you can teach four-year-olds concepts like personal and uh, you know, public and private body parts and personal and public space and um, safe and unsafe and all of those kinds of concepts. So And consent is a big part of it, you know. We teach them to be boss of their own bodies. So that was, I think, really both disappointing and scary that mm. people thought you needed to wait until they got to school.
1: It is because I guess, you know, um... There is plenty of opportunities, and and that that age group is very, uh, I guess, explorative, and they've got lots of questions at that age as well. So I guess you know there are plenty of opportunities as parents that we can uh, address it when they ask questions, like what's that part, mummy? Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, or if they tug on something in the shower, which I know my boys have done, and you know, they brought yeah. up that that opportunity for my husband to say, you know, that's my private part, you're not to touch that. Yeah. Um, and I think you know sometimes. It's just parents realizing that it's something to teach at that age.
2: Mm. Well, and it's like teaching them to clean their teeth, or you know, having manners about other things, or asking permission before they do all sorts of different things. It's actually no different, um, and so their conversations from when they're when they're little, um, yeah, it's not hard, and it's and it's not. Um, It's not making them more vulnerable if you do teach them those kinds of things or teach them the the anatomically correct um, names for body parts that they might tug in the shower. Um, Because we know that um, perpetrators of child sexual abuse are less likely to actually do something to a child if the child knows the correct anatomical um, body part name because they they then assume the child has been uh, taught to tell someone if something happens and they know about um you know personal um and private body parts. Um wow, that's incredible. Mm, so
1: there's even yeah. more reason, I guess, for us to you know have those conversations earlier.
2: Yeah, yeah. But that uh, that concept of teaching children um, you know, to ask before they touch somebody. Um, can happen you know just naturally as part of everyday life but in our research it was really uh, this was the most concerning thing for me was that 69 percent of Australians who responded said that you shouldn't have to ask a child permission before they before you touch them so no adult needs to ask permission from a child And so whether it's the wording or or whatever, but it's the same concept as, you know, don't tug on that bit or, um, you know, ask before you, you know, give someone a hug or whatever, it's the same concept. Um, But adults don't seem to think, the majority of adults who responded don't seem to think that they should have to ask kids, but kids should have to ask them.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I guess, you know, it starts pretty young that we see Santa. If um, <laughs> we take the kids and go here, you know, it's just simply asking, would you like to sit on Santa's knee? Um, instead of having that, we want to get a photo, you must sit on Santa's knee type scenario. Is that the sort of thing that you're suggesting?
2: Yeah, absolutely, and and you see, still see kids screaming on you know on Santa's knee because someone has plonked them on Santa's knee, and they really don't want to sit on Santa's knee because he's a bit scary if you do, um, and you're not used to men in big red suits and beards. Um, but that's exactly the the um, the situation, and it's an everyday situation. And you just say, oh, look, it wouldn't it be great to um, you know have a photo with Santa would you like to sit on his knee you don't have to you can stand next to him it's up to you the choice is yours we all like to have choice why are kids any different any different and I guess Mm -hmm. you know
1: you even see that around you know go on make sure you go and hug that grandparent um because yeah um and it's that forcement you know that force of having to give affection when you don't want to um I guess that's the primary reason why we need to teach our children about consent and having that voice that they can say, no, I actually don't feel like a cuddle today. Um, Is that, you know, something that we should be instilling in our children?
2: Absolutely. So when grandma comes, say, you know, you can say, oh, look, grandma's here. You know, you can give her a cuddle, you can blow her a kiss, you can high five, whatever you want to do to say hello, it's up to you. Yes. And they get to choose. So we're teaching them two things. We're teaching them that you need to ask permission and you have a right to, to choose what happens. Um, and we're teaching them decision-making and social situations. And so there's actually lots of things that you're teaching a child in that situation rather than just consent, you know.
1: Yes, because you do see, you know, things going quite, left field, I guess, where people are saying, you know, you have to ask to change your baby's nappy and things like that. Um, What are your thoughts on
2: that sort of consent? Oh, I think that's silly, really. Um, You know, babies need to be cared for. What you can do, though, um, you know, I'm a developmental psychologist. so um, children's brains develop in reciprocal relationships and they don't develop unless you talk to them and you know make eye contact so if you have a new baby and you're changing their nappy then have a chat and you know goo and gar and all the rest of it. tell them what you're doing same as when you're bathing them and so those conversations just become normal because you're having a, a, a you know, a reciprocal relationship with the child where you go, Oh, you know, oh, you've made a really big mess in your nappy and I'm going to change nappy. And, you know, you play with the toys and you do all those kind of things, but it's developing a relationship. And consent is ultimately about respectful, reciprocal relationships, really, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you, you know, spoke not in a high voice when you, you mimicked what you'd say to your baby. I, the most mums go, oh, no, no, and get, you, you all of a sudden go higher. <laughs> <laughs> Mommy's going to change your nappy now. I don't know why us mothers do that. But anyway, you did very well to keep your voice at a normal pitch then. I was very impressed. <laughs> um, so, you know, we've touched on it, but, you know, I want to dive a little bit deeper. Why is consent, you know, what is consent? Just for those people listening, you know, what are you talking about? What is consent and bodily autonomy? Um, and why is it so important to teach our children about it? And, and when do you think we should start that?
2: Uh, I think that you should start straight away in those conversations when you're changing nappies and having baths and getting dressed. And, you know, um, I had, um, I've had, i got three daughters. They're all grown up now. But uh, changing kids, like dressing kids in the morning, especially little girls who were adamant that they knew exactly what they wanted to wear and, you know, you, you you can end up, You can end up in a fight with kids, but if you just make it a fun conversation and, um, you know, talk about changing and why and all that kind of stuff, it'd be part of everyday life. So I believe you should start right from the beginning. Um, at, at the very least, you're developing a trusting relationship with your child. You're talking to them. You're explaining if you do it in age-appropriate terms, they'll, they'll get the information that they need out of it, but they also learn that they can ask you things and they can trust you when, you, when, you know, they have a question. So it's sent um, for little children is, is part of the relationship you have with them. But it's really, really important as they get older that they understand that they have the right to... Uh, choose who touches their bodies and in what way and i think that you know when when teenagers start experimenting with sex and relationships that's when it becomes really quite crucial in terms of normal development that they understand that they don't have to do something that somebody wants them to do just because the other person wants them to do it and they have the right to say no and keep themselves safe Um, And that's you know for kids who develop normally but um, for kids who are vulnerable uh, to sexual abuse and there are children who are disabled and children who, who, for a variety of different reasons, are more vulnerable, it's even more important to teach them that they have rights and that, you know, because they might have people touching them all the time, Um and so, you know, it becomes even more important to teach them about consent. So consent is having, you know, that understanding that you have a right to, to say who touches you and who does, does what to you. And that can be hard as kids because adults, you know, you need to get out the door in the morning. So you need, to, you need to dress them and you need to put their shoes on. And sometimes when they're three, they don't want those shoes and they don't want to do that and so it can be really tricky, but it's really, really important. Yeah,
1: that balance between what needs to be done um, so you can get out of the house and still making them feel like, you know, they've got choice on their body um, is, is a challenging one. I have gone to the shops with my son wearing socks on his hands and um, and weird, I don't know underwear backwards and all sorts of things and you know sometimes (laughs) sometimes you just gotta suck it up as a parent and go okay this is your you know your body your choice let's let's go um uh,
2: (laughs) we had days with one of my daughters who she fell in love with her dancing costume and she just wouldn't take it off and you know in the end you know I'm not going to fight with her she just wore it every day (laughs) until she got sick of it
1: yeah eventually eventually they get sick of it (laughs) so have you got any advice uh for educating and talking to our children about consent
2: um apart from making it uh you know the part of the normal everyday conversation that you start from when they're really little um we have a protective behaviours program that we run in schools where we explicitly teach some concepts that you can do at home as well and those are about identifying um, feelings and when you feel uh, anxious or worried or unsafe and what that might feel like in your body and then telling somebody about that and that's a psychoeducational life skill for a child it's not just about consent Um, You can teach them about um, personal and private space and public and private body parts, Um, use anatomically correct names, but we teach them that they are the boss of their bodies and little kids just love this idea. And we get them to role play. You know, if some some other kid touches them and they don't like it, we get them to go, no, you know, I'm the boss of my body um, and role play different scenarios. We also Talk to them about times when um, they might not want to be touched, but they it, it's better for them to be touched, like when they're at the doctor or the dentist or something like that. You know, The, the doctor can't figure out what's wrong with them without touching them. Um, so it, it's conversations. But in age-appropriate language, you can explain all sorts of tricky concepts and social situations. And four-year-olds... It readily learn this stuff and we're currently developing a program for kids in daycare centers little kids with songs and games and you know that's how we teach it to um, four five six and seven year olds and we're you know making it even more play-based for little kids but we have international standard research on our program and five-year-olds four-year-olds they can learn all this stuff and tell you all about it Yeah, they can teach their parents. Yeah,
1: (laughs) I agree. Um, and I'm getting flashbacks of the songs. I think there's one called My Private Parts. They belong to me. They belong to me. Um and and my my sons come home. singing you know no no don't touch me there this is my no no square like yeah there's some really great songs (laughs) but um you know the children are definitely teaching us about (laughs) about consent and then you can't get that earworm out of your head forever No, that's right well so
2: that's the aim of it though you know for the kids they
1: remember the words and, for, and for, for wives, it works well later on for you as well. Yeah. No, no,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's the point. You know, we wouldn't have Brittany Higgins, you know, experience and all of these other poor young women having to come out and say this happened to me. Um, and and an, probably an epidemic of young men who have no co- concept that things that they think are okay are not okay.
1: Yes, Yep. It's a worry. I, I don't think there's been uh, that I've actually got any girlfriends that hasn't had some sort of, you know, um, non-consensual touching at some point from somebody. And I think that's yeah. that's um, that's scary. I, you know, yeah. I think it's um, definitely something that uh, mothers of children, you know, we need to be really I, i'm so pleased that this is such a, a topic now that we're discussing and you know educating parents and children in regards to this topic so i guess is there any other necessary steps that you, uh, that parents should take to protect their children because obviously that's a big big part of your research as well yes so
2: it is that early education um parents need to educate themselves so if they're worried about having conversations like this with their children um uh, at all then they should f- read as much as they possibly can and make sure that they um, feel confident so that they can have an age-appropriate conversation with their kid and there's lots of places they can get information it really is um you know the raising children network is a fabulous resource for mm-hmm. parents um you know we have a link to it from our website and you know we're pointless for for kids to reproduce things that are already you know great resources um so so educate yourself so that you can educate your child and just build it into everyday conversations there's great books like you said there's books there's songs there's all sorts of things and that makes it fun because i think one of the most important things to explicitly teach is how to ask for help if um if something's happened to a child that they're worried about. So someone has touched them or done something to them that makes them feel safe, unsafe or worried. And that this can be beneficial in terms of sexual abuse, but also bullying, um, all sorts of different situations. And so we teach um, little children to tell, tell, tell and tell again until someone listens and helps. And that last bit is key because some research we did years ago um, was one of the most star- scariest uh, bits of data that you know we've ever had is that about 70% of adults wouldn't actually do anything if a child told them they'd been sexually abused. And that wasn't because they didn't want to. A lot of the times it was because they didn't know what to do. They didn't know who to tell. They didn't know whether they should believe a child. Um, You know, maybe kids make this stuff up. It was actually really as frightening as, you know, 70% of Australians thinking that um, adults should be able to touch kids without any kind of, um, you know, conversation about the touch. Um, So teaching children explicitly to ask for help. Um, and identifying safe people and who are safe people is really good because we know that you know ninety percent of sexual abuse for young children occurs within pe- well within a circle of known people. So if it's not in their family, it's people their family knows.
1: Yeah, that's a scary statistic. It, you know, mm. you 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 touched on then that many parents don't go and do anything about because they don't know where to go. Where should they go?
2: If a child is in, you know, imminent danger and something's happened, you know, right then and there or very recently, you firstly ring the police um, and the police will bring in a child protection unit. Um, if it's something that's happened in the past or something that you might have observed or you're worried about a child that you're you're seeing or a child's behaviour has tra- changed and you you're really are worried about the, the child, then... Um, Uh, In every state, there's a child protection um, unit of the the government, a statutory child protection um, agency, and there's a a phone number or a way that you can report the abuse, and you can do that anonymously because that was, you know, one of the things that people who responded to that earlier research said is that, um, you know, they didn't want to interfere. They didn't, like, if they saw that was their neighbours kids and and you know they they were really worried about the kids because there was a lot of violence in the home and all the rest of it they didn't want to interfere they didn't want yeah. you know to get the violence turned on them which which is fair enough um but they were worried about the children but you know in that case you can ring child protection services um, and you know you can your identity won't be revealed
1: that's good to know. Because how many children, this is going to be a scary statistic, I can just feel it, um, how many children experience abuse
2: in Australia? Substantiated abuse is around just under 50,000, and that's one in 33 kids. There's about 400-something there's thousand reports every year. Um, for some forms of abuse, we know that is... Vastly underreported, and sexual abuse is is one of those. Um, majority of sexual abuse of children is not reported by the child, um, and we know that from retrospective uh, research with adults. And I think the ABS—I've got some data here somewhere. The ABS recently. Um, Uh, released uh, statistics that said that 2.2 million women and 718,000 men are survivors of sexual abuse in Australia. And then once you've experienced abuse, women were three times more likely to suffer abuse again um, as an adult our men were eight times more likely to suffer sexual abuse. So the, the impact is lifelong. Um, and we know that a lot of physical abuse is also underreported. Um, you know, we have, because we've had, you know, are experiencing a pandemic, the rates of domestic and family violence incidents around the country have increased at a horrific um, level and kids are at risk you know from physical and emotional um, abuse you know from the the violence that it's occurring in their house and they're locked up so you know it's it's very scary.
1: yeah it's I heard there's a 700 percent increase the lifeline for kids at the moment.
2: yeah we've had a sustained, 30 to 50% increase in referrals across all of our services over the last 18 months, depending on what service. We have families seeking support who have never, ever had to even think about a service to help help them manage um, uh, day-to-day things and the impact on their kids and families. Um, And that's, you know, purely due to the pandemic. And unfortunately, you know, we... Are a nation where we solve a lot of problems by drinking alcohol, and you know, people the consumption of alcohol has gone up since people are in lockdown. Um, and it just fuels violence when you're you know angry and upset and haven't got a job and you're worried about paying things and all that kind of stuff, it just makes things worse.
1: Yeah, it's scary. So, can you tell me any warning signs that? you know, what we should be looking for to identify if our child may have experienced abuse or a child that we know?
2: Um, so there's three kinds of warning signs that you should think about, and they are um, emotional impacts, behavioural changes, and physical physical impacts. So in terms of emotion, you may see children who were are normally, you know, cheery and chatty and, uh, you know, happy, um, become withdrawn and worried and anxious and, uh, you know, not want to talk to people. They could also become aggressive and um, act out. Um, so there's that emotional lability. you know, they might change rapidly, but it'll be something different from what you would normally see with the child so that you think, well, something's going on. Um, Behavioural impacts. Uh, kids can have; um, they can not be able to sleep. Um, they can um, have uh, nightmares and night terrors. Start, night terrors. They can start wetting the bed or um, soiling during the day. Um, they can eat lots. They can start, you know, eating unusually, or they can stop eating at, at all. They can, you know, lose their appetite um they some children will if they've been sexually abused will not want to have a bath or a shower they won't won't want anyone to see their body they'll you know stop um getting undressed in front of people things like that that are not usual behavior that you haven't seen in your child i mean some of those can be part of development but if it's persistent and really very different to the child's normal behaviour. You would um, you would be thinking about it. I think the, the if there are unexplained bruises, if they really don't want to, like if they start getting panicked and worried about you taking their clothes off and things like that I mean most kids get stroppy and don't want to change at some point in time don't they they you know we've talked about that but if it's if the, if it's accompanied by re- like fear um, then you know I would be worried that something has happened to them mm.
1: so this year's child protection week theme is every child in every community needs a fair go why has this theme been selected
2: um it's a, child protection is a really interesting topic to try and advocate for awareness because it is um pretty awful for people to contemplate the things that we've been talking about that happen to children and so people really turn off like that's bigger than i can cope with that's awful i can't think about that i can't do anything to help when and Child Protection Week in Australia, we've been saying for many, many years um, that it's everybody's business. And it really is. It's a community. It's like the person who lives next door to the house where they can hear the violence. Reaching out and saying, Is everything okay, guys? Can I help? is probably the best response that you could, you know, try. Um, but it's difficult for us to do that. And so There's been some really interesting research by the Frameworks Institute that talks about how you talk about these kind of wicked problems and saying it's everybody's business and everybody can help actually doesn't encourage people to understand that they can help. And so this messaging about every child in every community needs a fair go is actually flipping it to say okay you know these are actually very straightforward things if we don't teach kids about consent we're not giving them a fair go we're not giving them a fair go to have a a great happy childhood and grow up and be you know you know sad you know adult satisfied with their lives so we need to give kids a fair go so we need to educate them we need to teach them about consent we need to give them good early education and all of those things that we know um, develops um, you know happy healthy kids and so that's where the messaging came from
1: i love it it's such a great message is there any other places that you can advise parents listening right now that they can go for more information or resources and support we've mentioned a few throughout the podcast we might it's okay to mention them again
2: Yeah so you can have a look at our website which is actforkids.com.au the Raising Children Network is a great resource for kids parents of kids of all ages uh, with all sorts of different um, uh, questions um, including sexual development and you know how to have conversations with kids about all those kinds of things and I think that it's um, probably you know a great place to start.
1: Well, thank you so much uh, for being on the show today. Such an important topic, um, you know, teaching our children consent and board, bodily autonomy. Um, thank you so much for your time, Katrina. Really appreciate you uh, helping us dive deep into this topic.
2: I really appreciate it, that you're focusing on it, Bri. I think it's wonderful.
1: Yes, well, together we can, like we said, it takes a village to raise a child and I think, you know, everyone learning about consent and how we can... Um, impact the children in our lives but also that flow on effect is massive so keep having the conversation parents keep having the conversation yeah (laughs) absolutely
0: if you're loving the pac mag parenting podcast then you'll love our other channels follow pac mag on facebook instagram youtube and pinterest
1: so, we've just heard from the wonderful Katrina Lyons, uh, the CEO of Act for Kids, uh, and talking about supporting children and their families and doing everything that uh, the, the community and I guess what Act for Kids are doing to su- support and protect children from abuse. Uh, now, we're going to welcome onto the show mother of four, Michelle Derig. Uh, she's going to share her personal story uh, and why it's so important to teach our children about consent after an experience her child had. Let's get her on Zoom. Michelle, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, I'd love you to share, let's start from the beginning. How did you uh, get so passionate about consent? What got you onto
0: this with your family? Sure. So it was quite a few years ago now, it was back in 2014, that I went out for dinner with some friends. And on this night, I heard about two separate cases where young children had been sexually abused by children their own age. So by their Oh, my peers. gosh. So in the first case, um, it was a, a young seven-year-old boy who'd been at a play date on the park, at the park with um, another friend. And it was on the way home that he disclosed to his mum that the other young boy had been trying to touch him inappropriately as they'd played on the play equipment. Um, and what was really critical about this particular case is that uh, when that mum approached the other mother, it came out that um, this other young boy had actually been... Um, accessing pornography on his iPad um, a few months before and when the parents had discovered it they'd obviously put measures in place to stop him being able to to do that but they weren't aware that he'd already been impacted and was already acting out because of what he'd been exposed to and in the second case the young boy um, was about nine years old and they were, um, again, it just happened to be that they were at a play date at the park and when the nine-year-old needed to go to the toilet, the mother sent him and the other nine-year-old um, together as a, as a safety precaution because she had other young children to watch at the play equipment. She was a mother of four and she um, could actually see the, the toilet cubicles and they were just a single cubicle that opened up directly onto the park so she felt that that was quite safe. But after a few minutes had passed, uh, her intuition kicked in and, and she was. Um, very worried that something um, had, had was happening and she raced over and, and she opened the door and um, sadly, it, it, well, it, her worst fears were, were realised when um, she walked in and, and saw that her young son was being abused by this other nine-year-old boy. Um, and what we do know that um, in, in most of these cases, um, that other nine-year-old boy was most likely a victim of abuse himself, and he was actually reenacting what had been done to him as a a coping mechanism. Wow. So very frightening, and I got home from this night, and I was just completely shocked because I had no idea that kids were at risk of abuse um, essentially while, or by their own peers, by other young children. I had no idea that my kids could actually um, be at risk whilst essentially I was supervising and I guess the fact that, that these things happened in my immediate community as well, really awakened in me um, just um, the desire to wanna protect my kids and realize it, you know, that they're actually just as much at risk of abuse in these situations. And so it was at this point that I realized, well, I really need to educate and empower my kids with the information um, that they need to keep themselves safe. Because of course we can't be with them at every minute of every day. And so that was sort of the initial um, stories that um, inspired me to to research this topic and um, it was really at that point that I then decided that I would create a resource for parents to help them have those body safety conversations Um, and from that point on I've just been really passionate about sharing my message um, about the importance of having those conversations. body safety conversations surrounding consent um, particularly with with younger children so I think parents tend to, to think about it um, with children at an older age and that was where I had come from and that's what all I'd ever done with my own children because I'm mother of four so I had two um, three children at this point um, and it was only my two older girls that I'd sort of had brief conversations with them when they hit around that age of about eight or nine years of age so um, yes, so so I really became um, aware of the importance of not just having these conversations, but having them at an early age with our children. Yes,
1: it's um, certainly something <laughs> that I guess once you know, you make sure that you're teaching them, because there's so much to teach children, I guess, um, but one of them, you know, I guess you don't think that their peers could um, be doing things like this, I guess, as well. That's right. So you've also, um, so you obviously then spoke to your children a lot about consent. Where did that conversation start?
0: Okay, so it does depend on the age of, of your children and, and I always recommend that people um, have, of course, you can you can broach the topic with if you've got multiple children, with all of your children together, but it's really important that we um, start the conversation with each one individually because it's going to change depending on how old they are. So. At um, when my, my younger son was born, um, so looking um, at that sort of from, from birth, um, you really can't quite introduce the topic, um, obviously, so that they, you know, again, to understand it, but you can start modelling behaviours. So when I had my fourth son, the conversation started literally from birth where we start um, asking permission for... Um, Uh, nappy changes and bathing and just really modeling that behavior and of course when they're they're babies they can't respond to that Um, but it's just setting the foundation for conversations that are going to evolve down the track and um, it always is really important that when you when I started those conversations that I did it with um, using the correct anatomical terms so again using those from birth helps um, just to set that foundation for for um using those terms in conversation with your children later on
1: yeah so because I guess you know we have seen that on social media where it's you know we're asking for consent to change a child's nappy and some parents go gosh that's just like I don't have time for that but I guess it can be as simple as telling the child this is what you're doing right now and why that's right that's right. And it's not really asking, can I do this? Like, cause obviously they can't answer, like you said, right. it's more, it's just involving them in the conversation so that, you know, um, they learn from a young age that, you know, they need to be part of that conversation. Exactly.
0: And, um, and of course, as I said, that's going to evolve over time as they, um, as they mature and as they're ready for, for more information. So um, obviously once they, once they become verbal, um, then we can start asking permission. But, again, it's it's always a very tricky topic, um, body safety, because, of course, we know that children just love to say no for no reason at all. Um, <laughs> so I'm not saying that it's easy, but you can certainly start introducing those topics. And, and, and you can back it up so you're not just sort of saying, when, um, you know, is it okay if mummy changes your nappy? Is it okay if mummy makes you clean? by changing your nappy. So we, we want to try and give them just that bit more information um, to sort of engage them in, in the conversation. And then generally, as a rule of thumb, I say from at least three years of age, but it, it does depend on the maturity of, of your child. And of course, as parents, you know, we're, you're often, you're going to be the ones that are the expert in, in what they're ready to, to absorb. But it's at that point that I start giving a much more specific information to the children and actually talking about private parts, using those correct anatomical terms um, to explain it, and then introducing concepts like that nobody is, well, number one, that they're the boss of their body and that no one is allowed to to look or touch their private parts, that um, no one is allowed to take a photo of their private parts, that no one's allowed to ask for you to touch their private parts. um, And there's, there's quite a few oh quite a quite a long list of, of the different um um topics that you need to, to cover within it but you, as i said you just do it gradually so you don't want to overwhelm them with too much information to start with but if you just start off gently and then as the, the conversation evolves you sort of add in more detail.
1: Now you do have a personal story I guess um that has solidified this to you even more now um, why this consent and this
0: conversation around consent needs to happen. Can you share share that incident with us? Sure. So it was actually um, a couple of years after I um, embarked on this journey into to child protection and, and consent. And I was returning to um, swimming lessons with my, my two younger sons and we'd just had a, a break over the winter. So we were in new classes and um, my, my younger son, who was, only two years old at the time, he needed a lot of attention. So I was sitting on the edge of the pool, um, basically trying to encourage him to stay in the water. And um, my my seven-year-old at the time, he was also in that same pool, just a few metres away, but he was in a group class. And um, of course, I did look over and and check on him from time to time. Um, But I certainly didn't suspect that anything was amiss that day. And it was only after we Um, left the um the or after the lesson finished and we were leaving the premises and walking into the car park that we crossed one of the other young boys that were in his class and this young boy bit of very um, mature almost a bit forced farewell to my son and my son just ignored him and and I reprimanded him and I said look you know you need to say goodbye to your friend and he said but mum he's not my friend and I said well you know what you're right he's not your friend but someone's polite we make sure that we respond and it was at that point that he turned to me and he said but mum he's a naughty boy and I, I of course asked why and and he said the words because he does what only for me says you shouldn't do um, so we haven't mentioned it yet but only for me is the um, resource or the, the book that I wrote um, to, to help teach my own children about body safety and um, and and to help other families as well have that conversation so in that moment, um, he had the language to, com- to communicate to me that something um, had occurred. And so I then had to sit down and, and work out exactly what had transpired. And it turned out that this other young boy had been trying to touch him inappropriately, trying to grope him throughout the lesson. My son had consistently asked him to stop but the boy had persisted and he had not only persisted but he but he tried to justify what he was doing to my son by explaining this is how you have a water farm mm. so in that moment of course I was very concerned for my son um, however I knew that he had told me straight away so that the 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 impact on him um, wouldn't be too significant and my real fear in that moment was actually what was going on for that other seven-year-old boy because mm-hmm. he was, in fact, mimicking behaviours of, of a much older um, perpetrator, particularly um, with him justifying it as a water fight because that's not how boys play water fights. That is not a water fight um, and, it's, and it's certainly not a, a, you know, a natural way for a, a boy to come up with a, a concept of a game in the pool. And the other, the other real sign for me was that the way that he had said goodbye to my son in that car park, um, again, was very typical of someone who is grooming a child. Um, you know, they do favour them with attention. They do, um, you know, um, keep, you know, we're talking about someone known to the child, just clarify there, um, but they do, um, you know, engage in, in, in conversation and rewards. And um, so I was, as I said, super concerned at that point for this this other young boy that he was, in fact, mimicking this behaviour. So we then had to um, obviously alert the swimming school of, of what had transpired and um, we were able to alert the boy's carer, uh, his grandmother, what had, had transpired. Um, and I'm not sure what the outcome of that was um, but I certainly hope that, that it was looked into as to, to what was going on for that other young boy and for my son, I was just so proud of him. Um, I was proud of him because he had um, identified the behaviour as being inappropriate and he knew that he had to tell someone he could trust about it. Um, so had he have not had that information, you have not known what to do and how to identify it and how to respond, this could have been a behaviour that was repeated over and over. It could have been something that um, was affecting my son on an ongoing basis and, of course, then the impacts would have been much worse. Um,
1: yeah, absolutely. So it was,
0: it was, you know, an incredible moment because I'd, I'd become really passionate about this topic but, of course, as a parent you still you still can't ever quite come to grips that something like this is going to happen to your child. Um, and, and here it was. So it, it was a, a beautiful bittersweet moment um, knowing that, you know, that we had had those conversations. Obviously I didn't want that to happen to my son, but, but beautiful in the sense that um, he, he recognized it, he knew how to respond and that we were then able to ensure that it didn't happen again.
1: Yeah. Cause I guess, as you said, like the flow and effect is, it, you know, you, you start to, that sets the bar, right? And you get what you um, tolerate and you think that's okay that's and it, 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 it progresses. So um, it's really great that it was caught early on and he was aware that it was uh, behavior that wasn't um, something he should tolerate. So yeah. Excellent lesson. Um, so what resources can you recommend to parents? Cause obviously the only for me book sounds
0: fantastic. Uh, yes, so um, Only For Me is, is the book that I wrote um, to help springboard or, or facilitate those conversations. So I always say to parents, um, really, as the primary caregivers, it is your responsibility ultimately to, to have these conversations with your child. And although it can be, um, you know, you might, you might find that it's something that might be being addressed in a child care centre, child care centre or school, um, you want to also make sure that you are having the conversations with your child. So only for me, acts as that springboard. But I always said to parents, make sure that you recognise how your child best learns. So books are great for those that love to read and love books. Um, but if your child loves um, music, then I know Brave Hearts have um, some um, ditto, keep, I think it's ditto, um, keep safe songs that you can actually download and they have, um, you know, the, the, the words to that song helps to empower um, and, and teach the children um, Daniel Morgan foundation I know they have um, an app for um, for children so if your child responds to technology well then you can also check that out um, so I always recommend that you um, you know you you, you you clue into the way that your child learns the best. Um, so with Only For Me, um, there's some other books as well. There's one called Everybody Has a Bottom, which is great. Um, and, of course, um, Only For Me was endorsed by Act for Kids. So Act for Kids also have some, some great resources for parents. Um, and it's also about, it's not just about educating your parent, your children, but it's about educating the parents. So you need to be equipped with the correct information so that you can have those effective body safety Conversations, um, and actually with National Child Protection Week, um, I am offering um, the Safe Kids series, um, which I'll, I'll give you details, um, Brie, if you want to pop them in the notes um, for free. Which it normally is a it's a digital resource, but valued at fourteen ninety five, um, but I'm giving it away for free um, over the next few weeks so that parents can access that. And that helps to break down this topic um, a little bit more and it goes into more detail as well for parents as to what exactly they should be um, talking or how they should be presenting those body safety conversations with their children. It covers things like the topic of safe uh, secrets um, and what a safe secret is, Um, looking at that network of trust for our children and and how we we build that. Um, And it also talks about things like um, getting the whole family unit to support the concept of of body safety so looking at um, telling our grandparents or our our other relatives that they also need to respect our children's um, body autonomy and and to actually ask permission for hugs and kisses so yeah so there's a lot more information that I recommend parents um, educate themselves with so that they can in turn um, really make those conversations effective with their own kids.
1: Yeah, I love it. I, I spoke to a lady in New Zealand the other day um, and she, she we were talking about a different topic, but her two kids, they're, they're only like three and five, I think. And uh, her, her daughter, whenever her brother touched her, she would say kiwi fruit and that meant let go. And then it was like strawberry. And it was like, you can touch me now, but kiwi fruit, now you got to let go. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think, you know, there's so many ways that we can teach our children about consent and um, and using their siblings is a is a great way as well, because obviously, you know, they're the ones that they spend a lot of time with, especially um, in the current pandemic yeah, at the moment. Absolutely. We've, we've, it's, um, you know, I guess using that language, you know, you don't have your brother's consent to be doing that right That's now. Right. Um, so it's having those conversations. Any parting words for parents listening right now that are thinking, you know, oh, should I talk to my child about consent? Um, or should I, you know, just sort of wait for it to come up, you know, I guess, you know, as a mum of boys, you know, you sometimes think, oh, it's it's not really boys that have this issue. But I think boys actually have more of these issues sometimes when they're littler um, than than girls in a way. I'm not sure. like, But, you know, I guess boys, um, you know, obviously are very curious and so are girls. So I I, I shouldn't say that it's only boys, but I guess sometimes we go, oh, boys are fine. It's more the girls that we have to worry about um, with with issues around Consent, But I I think it's definitely a conversation that we need to be having with both genders. Is there any parting words that you've got for parents that are sitting on the fence about having this conversation? And
0: and you're right, we absolutely need to be having it with um, both our our sons and our our daughters. Um, They are all at risk. And my parting words are, if you're not sure, then please educate yourself before you make that decision. So if you want to, as I said, download um, the digital access to the Safe Kids series and have a look at the statistics um, surrounding childhood sexual abuse um, and then make your decision because you need to make an informed decision. There's no point just burying your head in the sand and thinking this isn't going to happen to my child. I personally, um, one of the reasons that I had held off having these conversations was because I had a, um, a deep desire to protect my children's innocence. I um, I feel like our kids really do grow up in an over sexualized world and, and so I, I was very passionate about ensuring that they got to be little kids for as long as possible. But... When I realise the reality of abuse um, and how it, it most often transpires, which is in 90% of cases by someone that they know, so it's often in, in, um, in situations that you wouldn't have previously imagined. Um, so you need to, as a parent or a carer, you need to really make sure that you are making an informed decision. And, and I have to say in, in you know, almost 100% of cases, when I do talk to parents about this topic, um, once they know the facts, then it's not even Um, something that that they have to decide because it's just um, you know if if you want to protect your child then you realize that this is absolutely critical Um, and I think it's about realizing that you can do it in a way that is gentle you can do it in a way um, that protects their innocence as much as possible Um, so um, so yeah so really I think this yeah the the biggest thing is to as a parent or carer make sure that you're educated on that topic um, before you you make any firm decisions as, as to how you're going to proceed
1: yeah I love it and it's being that role model I guess as well um you know I've even said it to my husband hold on a minute you don't have my consent daddy to give me that hug right now in front of my boys right. and I think it's great so <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: It's, it's yeah it's it's quite a, a big topic the more you look into it the more you you understand the different ways that that you can approach the topic, um, and of course you you know you, you need to clarify. It is a it is a tricky topic. I, I always say there is a lot of grey area when it comes to kids. So um, you know we we often say no one can do this, no one can do that. Um, but obviously there are times when there are exceptions to the rule. So it's just again um, becoming. Um, you know, ensuring that you've got the facts and and I've got a few ideas as to how um, you clarify with each child what is acceptable. But again, it is no doubt a tricky topic, Um, but there is lots of support available for, for parents, which is great.
1: And we'll put all those in the show notes. But thank you so much, Michelle, for your uh, sharing your story today. It must—it's not an easy one to share, but um, it certainly helps lots of us parents listening right now, um, and inspired us if we haven't looked into the topic of consent to do so. So thank you so much for for helping us with that today. My
0: pleasure. Thanks so much, Brie.